The Women in Agile podcast series amplifies the voices of outstanding women in the Agile community. We are dedicated to sharing the wisdom and inspiration our community has to offer by telling our stories, being thought leaders, and having open conversations with our allies. This series is brought to you in partnership from the Women in Agile organization and Accenture Solutions IQ. Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Women in Agile podcast series. I'm your host, Leslie Morse, and today we are chatting with Heidi Helfand. Heidi coaches and influences fast-growing companies using practical, people-focused techniques. Her approach is based on experience at highly successful startups. The first was Expert City, which was acquired by Citrix Online. She was on the development teams that invented GoToMyPC, GoToMeeting, and GoToWebinar. Heidi helped the company scale from 15 employees to 800. Then she was principal agile coach at Appfolio, makers of the workflow software that property management and law verticals use. There, she built a coaching group that supported dynamic cross-functional teams as the company scaled from 10 to 650 people. She's currently at Procore Technologies, a leading provider of cloud-based applications for construction. At Procore, Heidi is in R&D leadership, coaching and consulting on software development and reteaming practices as this company scales globally. She is also the author of the book Dynamic Reteaming, The Art and Wisdom of Changing Teams. Heidi, thanks so much for being here today. Thanks, Leslie. So happy to be here. Yeah, this idea of reteaming and how it is sort of always happening within the Agile space is, I think, really interesting to explore. But before we get into that, how did you find Agile in the first place? When I was at the second startup that I joined, Appfolio, I was hired in as a scrum master and the leadership of that company, the two co-founders decided that from the start of the company, from our first team of 10 people, we'd be doing extreme programming uh, from the beginning. So I was hired into it and then got training and through practical experience, built my skill set. And then, so through that journey, when did you start identifying yourself as someone that was really part of the larger Agile community? That's a good question. I think at the beginning, I felt like I was a student and I was learning and growing. We had uh, consulted with Pivotal Labs and we had two Pivotal consultants with our first team for more than a year. I served a role uh, in the Pivotal process called a tracker and became kind of a scrum master as well, had scrum master training. I would read different books. Later on, had some training with Lisa Atkins related to coaching. And then after that, became a co-active coach certified by the International Coach Federation. And I think it was at the time that I rebranded my role inside Folio as Agile Coach that I really identified myself as a part of an Agile movement. And then as, as you've gone through that, right, and I, and I love that you've been really sort of looking at it from many different facets, bringing in that professional coaching lens, which is becoming so much more popular mm-hmm. in our space over the past few years. What have you observed about the role of women in our community throughout that journey? To tell you the truth, I really hadn't focused on it very much. I was driven to improve my own skill set. And I really, I I don't know if it's unique as a woman. I I never really thought about the fact that I was a woman. I really just uh, tried to have my work speak for itself. 
and really focus just on getting better at what I do in my role. And so developing mastery in how to work with teams, developing mastery in pursuing excellence is really, has really been my focus. I worked with some other women on my teams at Appfolio and I do as well here at Procore. And I think as the years have gone by, I have been in the industry for 20 years, there's more and more discussion about women. I think there were women in technology groups way back when I never really mm -hmm. joined. It's been more and more of a thing in recent years. And to tell you the truth, I never really paid much attention. Well, and that's, that's interesting because even though I've been affiliated with the Women in Agile sort of movement since early on, personally for me, throughout my career, I very much identify with that. I never really realized like, oh, I'm a woman and I might be a minority. I was just like a human there and doing the work and working on being the best me possible. So there's, there's definitely pieces of that, um, that resonates with me and as well as come, has come up in other conversations as well. Um, but I think that's, there's also that appreciation of like getting more of Having the conversation is also important. And I think it's the other interesting piece mm -hmm. of this is like Procore being in the construction industry, you often think of as very male dominated. And so even just referencing the fact that you have other women you're collaborating with in that work um, is great. What would you say sort of, you know, is that, does everything sort of feel collaborative and equal there? Or is that something where you all are working on bringing more diversity in? How is that sort of on a day-to-day -day basis? I think Procore is the company that I've worked at, which has the most women out of my whole career. And it's the first company where I have a senior vice president in engineering who's female, who's woman. That's great. And I, when when her name is Ani Abrahamian, and when she got hired, I thought to myself, I was like, wow, this is the first time. And I, I've had other VPs uh, that I'd worked with in the past that had been female, but they weren't as technical as she is. She's a software engineer. And she even gave me some really great advice last week, like, oh, maybe you should try to get in on those meetings. And just in passing, and. I really appreciated that, and it, I thought about what she said, and I um, have advocated for myself. And so, but Pro, Procore is a really special company. We also have Valerie Jackson, who our people department hired in to head up diversity and, and inclusion. And so she started influencing and, and supporting different initiatives within the company. We have different interest groups. And... And yeah, I think Procore is really at the at the forefront of uh, all of this stuff. That's great. And then as I think about diversity and inclusion programs, which, um, right, always advancing that and changing the mix of our people within our organizations forces us to reshape and rebuild teams as the workforce evolves. So I want to use that sort of as a segue to talk about this idea of dynamic reteaming, mm -hmm. which um, is right that art and wisdom of changing teams. How does the idea of building diversity within teams show up within that body of work for you? 
Yeah. So with uh, so dynamic reteaming, and it's the name of of the book I wrote. It's also the name of how I kind of uh, phrase team change. So there's different ways that teams change team changes happen. There's different patterns of dynamic reteaming, and I think when you change up your teams, maybe you're more likely, you could be more likely to have a variety of people, a diverse mix in the teams. We focus on cross, we have cross-functional teams who are in a variety of different roles. Uh, When we hire in new people from a variety of backgrounds, people are added to teams. It's the one-by-one pattern. And another, similar to the one-by-one pattern of reteaming, people that are working in this company and others might switch to another team and they bring new information and different perspectives to that other team. They might switch for a short period of time and come back. I call it the switching pattern. We have a group of engineers here that broker short-term team switches. They call it nomading. So an engineer or other team member who might want to experience a refresh or something completely different, maybe they've worked on a team for a while and they're ready for a change. Maybe they want to work with different people or work on a new topic. They can talk to their, this guild, it's a guild, and they will know which teams are accepting nomads and they might go over for a couple of weeks, come back. And so this new information uh, that they're bringing to the team and then when they return to their team, they bring in new information. It helps to create, I think, some diversity of thought to which I believe would spur more innovation. Yeah, so those are a couple also- of the patterns. Yeah, and there's also just the opportunity for, like you mentioned, professional growth there. It was like, I'm going to go to a sabbatical on this other team to like learn stuff and then bring it back. So what a great way to intentionally, right, help um, information kind of propagate across the organization from a knowledge perspective. I do think about the, right, as we build high-performing teams, the moment the team changes, right, and sort of any change occurs, you kind of get a little worse before you get better. Yes, definitely. So how do you mitigate that or work with that natural sort of change instance as someone just goes and visits for a few weeks? Yeah, so when somebody changes and goes and visits for a few weeks, for example, most likely they're pair programming with their friends on the other team. And so a lot of the work is kept constant and, you know, maybe they, it's a little bit slowed, but really in the long run, if it helps increase someone's fulfillment and knowledge spreading, it's really worth it. Um, the other thing that's really important when teams change a lot is, and, and teams change at various degrees. I'm not saying everybody's moving around like crazy all the time. It's not yeah. the case. It's, there's definitely, we, uh, we do it when we can and reteaming happens aligned with business goals. So for example, if we're hiring a bunch of people, which, um, we have, uh, we, we always share like on LinkedIn photos of. I think we, we had some new hires start last week, maybe 35 or 40. So we're very public about our growth and we're hiring a lot of different roles in different cities. So when it's a match with the business goals, you know, we, we, we align on that and help it succeed. But when the teams change a lot, regardless of whether it's here or somewhere else, 
And if you have cross-functional teams of different roles, being really clear on the function of those roles, what makes each role successful, what the people in each of these roles do is important. So you could hold that kind of role clarity constant. And when the teams change at varying degrees, that's kind of a, a something that holds it together. It's kind of one of the glue, kind of the glue pieces. Yeah, other tools might be held constant across the team. So it's kind of like, what are those things that you do in your teams that are held constant? That usually helps kind of scaffold and helps you mitigate the team changes. Okay, and and that completely makes sense. And I love how you said that the, and I, I assume you were mentioning at Procore, how reteaming works is often driven on business goals. Oh, it's completely driven yeah. by business goals. And it's the same at the other companies that I was at. And actually, that's a really important point. A lot of I, my experience is at three very fast growing companies. It's like 20 years of it, but three very successful fast growing companies. And when I was at the second startup app folio, there was a point in time and it was Paul Tevis and I, we were both agile coaches there. We had read some dogma that said the best teams are the ones that don't change. They stay stable. They stay the same. Like there's research by Hackman, for example, I usually reference when I'm giving uh, keynote talks mm -hmm. on this topic. But the fact is when you're in a company with a business decision for rapid growth, maybe your, your team is going to double in size. It helps to try to get better at that than to try to fight those changes and try to keep it the same. So we learned a very visceral lesson that no. We are part of this company. We help it succeed with its business goals and the rate of change that the company wants. Let's focus there. And that's really essentially one of the reasons I wrote this book, because I think as coaches, as managers, as technologists, we can go in the wrong direction to try to fight the changes and keep stability that we really have to just shift our perspective and think, hey, how are we going to succeed when we double in size in the next year? It's going to be quite different. We need to prepare now and we need to use some better reteaming practices instead of fighting the change. Because when you, when you, if you try to go counter to the goals of the company leadership, it's just, it, it, it's just counterproductive. So we learn that very viscerally. And so yeah, it's, and it's, it gets me really curious actually about um, those startups that maybe haven't been as successful if they were how could have this idea of dynamic reteaming actually helped them be more successful potentially? Like, was that one of their shortcomings mm. through the, the attempt of accelerated growth? You know, it's interesting because, and, and really, you know, I've been reading about the term hyper growth and other things. Uh, assuming that your company is building the right thing and you have a market for your products, I mean, that's essential, right? Like, have you validated that there's a biz business model that's going to be effective at bringing your company money so that you can sustain yourself? So that's like one thing. But another thing is kind of like, okay, let's say that you do. And then let's say, okay, you want to expand your workforce. Like, what practices are you getting better at in order to do that? Because that's where you need to focus. If you're kind of one of the people that's building the organization, you need to have solid onboarding, not only company onboarding, but department onboarding, team onboarding, and individual role onboarding. You need to, to, to really make sure that your people practices and tool sets can expand so you can keep better, keep track and support all of these people. So there's like, there's like, there's a wide variety of, of, of disciplines that get impacted by extreme growth. And so yeah. I think focusing there is important. 
Yeah, I completely agree. Having been sort of victim of that not being done well at points mm. in my career, mm-hmm. <laughs> I, it's, it's important to call out all of those. Often when I've worked with organizations, especially maybe early on in their agile transformations, or maybe we're spinning up a new body of work and we're building teams, the agile teams that have never existed before, one of the ways they're like, how do we decide who goes on the teams? And I often say, well, given the vision of what you're trying to build, what are the skill sets necessary in order to fulfill that vision? And then what's the fewest number of people that provide all those skill sets? Mm. Because if you go by like, we must have one person that has every skill, it's very easy to end up with a 30 person team um, sometimes. And so that idea of starting with the business outcome of that vision, Mm -hmm. what are the skills needed? And then building the teams around that, how would some of the principles of dynamic reteaming serve well as those business goals are continually evolving as our product vision shifts. Right, right. So I think there's different ways that companies form teams. And I always really want people to uh, be inclusive with the people that will be going on to the teams and give people input and agency uh, in the decision making of who goes where. And this can be done in in several different ways. I've worked with some managers for years that really have great relationships with the people that they work with, and they have ongoing conversations and try to help them build their careers as engineers. And so there are stories in the book about uh, some manager-created teams really with thoughtful, growth-minded approaches to get the people in the best place so they can level up their skills. So typically people will... uh, you know, ideally join teams and they have a mentor on the team that maybe is a more experienced engineer, for example, and that knows the domain that they're working on and kind of help them level up. So there's kind of like the manager, uh, manager negotiated reteaming their team formation. Then there's other, like if we try to go even more and more open, uh, there's approaches that have people, maybe we visualize the team structure and the missions of the team on a whiteboard and if and the people are brought into discussions to kind of form the teams using very open approach with whiteboards. Christian Linwall, uh, who is uh, heading machine learning at Spotify in New York, told me some stories about reteaming with whiteboards that we actually applied here in the past at Procore when we were uh, having a reteaming involving about 80 people. I really like the idea of giving people choice and agency to pursue mm-hmm. learning goals. And like our company here is very driven about, very driven on learning and like mastery, mastery, autonomy, and purpose. You know, it, you know, we get that from uh, the book Drive by Dan Pink, but that whole philosophy is very present here. So how can I help you grow your career by experiencing the, uh, a team uh, that has matches for you, not only what your skills are, but where you want to grow and develop. And then an even more open way to do it is like an open marketplace approach mm-hmm. where maybe through a facilitated offsite with different shorter sprints, people will reteam and really kind of self-select their teams and you give it to the people as a problem to solve. Maybe you have some constraints. Let's say you have 10 different missions we need these skill sets for these missions. These are the types of roles we have. These are how many slots we want to fund in each of these endeavors. So we have some constraints, and then you give it to the people as a problem yeah. to solve. 
I have a very lightweight approach to this in the back of my book, but I recommend if people are interested in this to read the book called Creating Great Teams by Sandy Mamoli and David Mole. Their book is devoted to helping people form self-selected team events, and they have experience uh, from doing it in their, not only in their consulting practice, uh, but also within companies in New Zealand. So that's, I, that's I like really it cool because yeah. in my head that could easily divulge into like the hurt feelings that happen with like school age children and like self-selecting dodgeball teams and different yeah, things I think like a that. Lot like, of, oh, I'm the last kid picked, yeah. mm-hmm. and you don't want it to show up like that. You don't want to show it, have it show up like that. They talk about that in their book. I think one of the last lines of their book says, "What would you do if you weren't afraid?" And they really believe that the manager. Forming teams uh, from a manager perspective really breaks down at scale. So you need to do something big and open, especially if you're reforming around work. Now, there's also a wonderful agilist named Dana Pialeva. I'm hopefully pronouncing her name correctly. She's in New York. And she has a game. She calls it Spooky Questions. So if people are um, thinking of having an open reteaming event, they can uh, play this game. And there are several different scenarios that... They, they can discuss in advance of the actual event t- to create more safety for the actual event. And there's questions related to what you just brought up. Like, what if the last, what if I'm the last one to be picked? Or what if I don't get my choice? Like all these fears that people have. And I think no matter whether you have a very open reteaming or whether you have kind of more top-down driven reteamings, all of it is scary to people. It's yes, not that absolutely. if you just give people choice, you remove all the fear. That's not true. All of this stuff requires great planning and care, and it also requires having retrospectives after you're done with it, in my opinion. Absolutely. So I think as you've gone through series of reteaming many times over your your career, what would you say have been some of those key learnings from retrospectives? Yeah. So I think especially at, at companies that are growing rapidly, you're going to be reteaming multiple times and it's going to happen at department levels, company levels. You're going to acquire some other companies. Well, how are you going to integrate the people or not? So it's going to be at the company level, the department levels. It's going to be at the groups of teams level. Maybe some people call that a tribe. It's going to be at maybe lower levels, team levels, and then down to the individual where somebody might need a change. Maybe they want to move on a different team. So retrospecting about, okay, how was that experience? Gathering sentiment from the people that went through the reteaming is really important. It's another feedback loop. So not only how did we, um, how did we plan and implement and get the result from the reteaming, we reflect on that, but at all these levels, you can get better if you talk about what happened and if you get as feedback well as from the people. normalize the fact that it will happen again. Oh, yeah. Yeah, in, a fa- in fast-growing companies, yes, it's going to happen again. I mean, if you're going to – we hired a 1,000 people in the past two years. There's a lot of reteaming that happened. Um, and so, yeah, it's a discipline to get better at. Some people call it change management, and you see that tradition. There are things to read in that space as well about yeah. managing transitions in addition to managing change. Um, so yeah, so there's, there's a lot of, uh, resources to turn to, uh, to get better. And, and yeah, it's, and what I'm talking about is not the space of we're having an agile transition. So what do we do there? 
It's more of we're a successful growing company. How do we best morph our structure in order to succeed in the future as well as today? And it'd be useful in proper agile context and not, which is, Mm -hmm. I think, the the beauty of of everything we've been discussing today. Mm -hmm. Any other stories of how you're using this day-to-day at Procore that you'd like to share? Uh, Sure. So as... What happens a lot with fast-growing companies is that the culture feels different. And people might ask, well, how do I maintain this culture? It feels different than it did before, especially, you know, I coach people that have been at the company for a long time, and then we add people, and it just feels different. Things change. And so it's kind of like having open discussions about that with teams is important. And I do activities that help newer employees and employees that have been here for a long time find a common ground and have a shared kind of sense of the history of the company. We do an activity. I love doing it. I I did it with our London office. I'll do it at different offices and I'll do it with teams that have have changed a lot. And it's kind of like the, I call it the story of our team. So everybody stands up in a row from the earlier employees to the employees that are more recent and they talk to each other, and then they form a, a shared timeline on the wall when people were hired, when people might have left the team for whatever reason, team milestones and, and accomplishments that we're proud of, challenges that we face, like shared experiences. And then we tell the story of the team. So from the earliest person that joined to the most recent person, we get out our, our cell phone and we record the story of our team, and the people tell the story and what it does is give more of a sense of, of, of shared experience. And I have people talk about why they joined the company, kind of connect to their origin story. And then the people can see that, you know what, even if I was, I've been here five years or even if I've been here six months, we're all here to help this big, awesome project succeed. We're, ha- we're here to help change the lives of people in construction. Like we have an important mission connecting people to our shared platform so they can communicate better. And so we anchor to those stories and then we see, you know what? This is our company. It's not your company. It's not my company. It doesn't matter how long we've been here. We might feel different the earlier employee that we are. And I've had that experience personally being in, you know, under under the top 15 at two other startups. But I think it's important to understand we're, we're here to help this amazing thing succeed and and that's an activity that we do. It takes an hour. And, yeah, and so I, think I love doing it. Yeah, there's something so important in, in the phrasing that I have from some work I've done. It's called like the original myth. It's like right? original myth. Original exactly. myth of like mm-hmm. why we started here and being able to have a ritual like this that yeah. keeps us connected to that, mm-hmm. I think is a really great way of amplifying that purpose piece of the autonomy, mastery, and purpose, which often when you start seeing dysfunction and tension emerge within teams, it's when that purpose motive starts fading away. And it's like, I don't even remember why we're here in the first place. And that ritual of being able to reconnect with that in conjunction with reteaming is really a beautiful idea. Um, and I think can be repurposed in so many different ways oh, yeah. for, for organizations. And really, you know, research from the Gallup Corporation, there's a wonderful book called It's the Manager, which is which was released this year, talks about how Um, purpose is one of the keys to employee engagement and especially in the younger generations you know I always feel like I you know 
you know, how can we, if we want to focus on engagement, it, it's also important to the generations that have been around for a while like mine. Um, yeah. But it's kind of like, like, why are we here and devoting our time? Well, actually, we have a very compelling vision and mission at, at Procore to improve the lives of people in construction. And you can see it when you talk to people. We just had a conference called Groundbreak in Arizona. And, you know, customers are together. You know, people from Procore are together. People in our ecosystem. We, we have this open platform where people can build businesses and connect other point solutions in construction to Procore. And so we have this, like, whole community, and it's this and, and we're doing really, really important work, I, I think, in the world. And so, so yeah, why do we join this company? Well, it's something larger than even this company. And I, I will say uh, that we started a women in construction movement through Procore. And, uh, and, and that's a, a big phenomenon where we have educational opportunities for women in construction. And I feel like, okay, well, here we are in a women in agile podcast. There's a, a person uh, that uh, Daniel Edbert, um, who works, we have a nonprofit called Pro, Procore.org. And her charge and her mission and her job is, is about women in construction. That's awesome. Might go broader than that, but that's a, a, a key yeah. facet of it. Yeah. That's great. Listening to you talk, I mean, just the, the palpable, like, passion within you, like is like a gift. I hope everyone in their careers has an opportunity to be so connected to really be able to convey that. Um, and, and I know we're getting a little short on time. Um, as we were prepping for the chat today, you shared some um, equally um, enthusiastic passion about how actually the process of writing the book was life-changing for you. Mm -hmm. um, and I just, I wanted to give you an opportunity to kind of share that story a little bit as well, because I think there's, the idea of writing a book is such a big thing and it sounds so scary. Yeah. Um, but regardless of whether or not it's scary, like if it can unlock a better version of yourself, mm -hmm. why not try it? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I became obsessed with this topic of team change. And I think it was just to prove the point that, you know what? I've been part of very successful companies that have changed a lot and have grown a lot. You know, one of them was acquired by Expert City, where we built GoToMeeting and GoToWebinar. I was on the original teams. We were acquired by Citrix for a large sum. The legacy of that was acquired by LogMeIn a couple of years ago for a large sum. We created this enduring value that's um, you know, very successful public companies. The second startup that I was at, we went public June 2015. It's Appfolio creating software for property management companies for law firms, some other verticals. It's got a broad vision. That company, very successful, a lot more deliberate reteaming even than the first company. And we weren't doing it wrong. And I wanted to prove the point that, you know what? Teams change. They can pursue excellence and create value and lasting impact in the world. Don't tell me to try to keep them all the same. <laughs> It just really bothered me. And then I was like, was this only us? Was it just our Southern California experience? So I became curious and I interviewed worldwide colleagues at a variety of companies. And I found that, you know what? There's patterns to this. There are predictable patterns to how teams change. And I came up with five patterns. And then I really dug into, well, why do teams change? You know, it's like either growth or attrition. Maybe people 
want to spread information deliberately to have more resilience in their companies. So if somebody leaves, oh, we got it covered. These five people also know how to take care of that technology. And there's other reasons as well, you know, pursuing fulfillment and, and growth. I'm a big proponent in helping people develop mastery in what they're passionate about. And so sometimes to do that, we need to make a switch of team. So I became like obsessed about this. I was interviewing, I started writing, and I had advice from a friend of mine, Joshua Kirievsky, uh, a modern agile uh, industrial logic is his company. And he was like, Heidi, why don't you write the book that you want to write? Just write your book. Don't worry about any publishers, just write your book. And I was like, okay. And I took that advice and it was my baby. And I like grew it and changed it. And then I started speaking about it. So I started, you know, submitting to conferences so I could speak about this thing that I was working on, this thing that I was obsessed in. And then I scheduled a bunch of interviews and more and more and more. And then as I gave talks, people were telling me stories. I say, hey, I'm writing this book. Would you be willing to be interviewed to share the company's story that you have? And so they would. And we do it just like we're recording this podcast. I had all these recordings. I got them transcribed. And then I coded the data for themes. And then I wrote about what I was learning. So it was really the pursuit of learning. How do you get better when teams are changing a lot? How do you pursue this? And then the book just developed. It took a few years. And and it got me the job that I'm at. I wrote the book and I had it I used a plat- publishing platform called LeanPub, L-E-A-N-P-U-B.com, LeanPub.com. And LeanPub has a way that you can continue, you can write the book in public and continuously deploy updates to it as you're ready. So I did that. And I'd go to a talk and I'd be like, I have this book. It's a work in progress. Here it is. And I'd share the link and I'd do that. And the book is done now. It's taken years. But then uh, with LeanPub, there were easy ways to export out copies of the book, versions of the book, so I could create a paper version of the book on Amazon, which is also available, and a Kindle version, a little trickier to format a Kindle version. So I outsourced the uh, formatting of the Kindle version. And then I was like, wait a minute. I commute a lot for my job. I live about an hour away. I love audiobooks. I need an audio version. How can I do that? So I started doing research, and I found that there's a lot of people that want to charge you a lot of money to create your audiobook and kind of not tell you what the process is. And I've been very... uh, I've learned a lot just from knowing what the process of this self-publishing is like. And I decided, hey, wait a minute. I love this. Audiobook voices are different. You, I, I, I really liked this one artist's voice, Caroline Miller. And I decided to just reach out to her to see if she would narrate my book. And she said yes. And so it was like two businesswomen working together directly and she narrated my book, and now it's on Audible um, through, I think it's called ACX. And yeah, it was like a series of different puzzles that I solved, but it was all the pursuit of learning. And, you know, I think the biggest gift of it all was I was consulting at Procor as an agile coach, and I really fell in love with the company for a variety of reasons. The people really live the values, its ownership, openness, and optimism. And the engineers used the values and told me about them. And I, as I was uh, talking about joining full-time, the CEO had read my book. 
um, Tui Cordemanche had read my book, an earlier version on Lean Pub, and I was like, wow, this book has been a gift because it was really a, a tool to market me and to share everything that I'm about. Because, you know, when you write a book, you share, I think it's, it speaks about who you are. And I feel like that book was a labor of love. I love that book. And, and that book has really been a tool to help me, uh, you know, grow in my career. And I learned a lot along the way. I mean, I've made a ton of mistakes and um, it, it wasn't always easy, but it was always my thing. And it was always the thing that, that I loved working on and it, it became really a big part of, uh, of who I am. That's great. And I think um, you make it seem so relatable and possible. It's possible. Um, just the way you describe it, which which is fantastic. Yeah, um, I, I'd really love to give a talk about it sometime, maybe at an open space and kind of share what I've learned because it is attainable. And I think all it takes is thinking about something you really want to learn more about, something you really want to dig into. What is that thing for you that you want to read about every day when you get home from work? And the other thing that I did was stop reading. I'm very big in my career growth where... I'm trying to get stuff out more than I'm taking stuff in. So I very seldom, I, I do read, I listen to audiobooks from time to time. I've moved on to more fiction now, but I'm trying to like get out stuff. And that's where my career development is at. Interesting. Um, because I think there's the, ju just you demystified a little bit of the, I must already be expert so then I can write the book. Mm -hmm. versus what is it you're really, really curious about and use the writing as the vehicle for learning. Yep. And that quest for knowledge exactly. is, is awesome. Heidi, any final thoughts you want to share with people today? Yeah, I think, I think the final thoughts are really um, believe in yourself. Look at your track record. You can do a lot more than you think you can. It takes trusting yourself. I think confidence, at least for me, has built over the years. At one point, I looked back and I was like, wait a minute, I think I'm making pretty good decisions. I think I can do this. I think I can send that email without stewing over it for an hour first. Like, I think it's a process of learning to trust yourself yeah. and um, focus on the learning. Focus on how you want to learn and grow and, and I think also um, helping, helping each other out and, and sharing what how we did things is important. Excellent. Well, Heidi, thank you so much for being here today. I really appreciate it. I think this is a great story. I love that you sprinkled in here other tips and references for people because I normally ask for that at the end. So like, <laughs> you've made my job very, very easy today <laughs> in this conversation. Thank you so much. I really my appreciate pleasure, it. My pleasure, Leslie. Thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. And thank you for listening to this episode of the Women in Agile podcast series. It's brought to you in partnership from the Women in Agile nonprofit organization and Accenture Solutions IQ. We hope you've learned something new and invite you to tell a friend or a coworker about the podcast. Please go online to womeninagile.org to learn more about our initiatives and find additional inspiring podcast conversations. Thanks for listening to this Women in Agile podcast episode. Find more inspiring conversations by visiting womeninagile.org slash podcast checking out the podcast series on iTunes or visiting your podcast application of choice. If you have an idea for a topic, speaker, or feedback on an episode, please reach out to us via email through podcast at womeninagile.org.